Hello and welcome to the Riding Unicorns podcast. This is the podcast all about growth startups. I'm James Pringle. I'm a technology entrepreneur, investor and VC at Portfolio Ventures. My co-host is Hector Mason. Hector is a partner at B2B Investor Episode 1 Ventures. This podcast is all about uncovering what it takes to build a unicorn business. We speak to some of the best founders and investors, many from unicorn companies, and ask them about their journey, operational insight, tips, lessons, stories, and anything that can help uncover what it takes to build a high-growth business. This episode is with Alan Chang, founder and CEO at Tesseract Energy. Tesseract was founded to generate affordable, renewable power and solve climate change. Alan and his co-founder Charles were super early employees at Revolut. Tesseract has raised $78 million from top-tier investors like Balderton, Lakestar, Excel, Creandum, Lower Carbon and Ribbit. In this episode, we touch on the Revolut journey, where the idea for Tesseract came from, the never-settled culture Alan is building, the future of the energy industry and much, much more. It's a big one. Let's get started. Hi, Alan. Welcome to the Riding Unicorns podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Maybe we could just start with a quick explanation of what Tesseract Energy is for any of our audience that don't already know. Sure. So we're effectively a full stack of renewable energy supplier. So we're actually building and owning you know, renewable you know, generation such as you know, solar and wind. So that's the first thing. The second thing we're doing is we want to allow our customers to effectively buy you know, virtual renewable generation. Especially after the energy crisis, a lot of people do want to you know, reduce energy bill by putting, uh, for example, a rooftop solar. But the problem is not everyone has a rooftop, right? And you know, some people are renting or some people aren't just ready to commit to you know, 25 year, 15,000 pound, you know, commitments to, you know, to the solar panels. So basically we offer a very virtual, virtual solution where, you know, some sort renewable we can use to reduce energy bill with us. Plus, you know, there's all the benefits of being virtual, such as, you know, you know, if you move house, move apartments, if you're renting, you can basically take your, effectively your, your, your generation with you. So that's basically in short. It's awesome. You guys raised probably one of, if not the, the flashiest pre-seeds of 2022. And that was, I think it was $78 million off the bat, which is extraordinary. And just talk to us about how, how you raised that and, and why you need to raise so much straight away. Yeah. So effectively we, you know, more, most energy suppliers, they are, they just, you know, contrary to what most people believe, most energy suppliers, they just buy from the market and just resell it. And they also buy, you know, what the market calls regals, right? Renewable, effective renewable energy certificates, such that they can claim their hearts are renewable, right? But what, but what's very interesting, right, is you see the gas prices going up, the energy prices from the tariffs also go up, right? So if it's fully renewable, then something doesn't add up, right? Whereas what we're doing, right, we, we're actually starting with, you know, completely, you know, we're actually also building our generation from scratch, right? And that's why we need so much capital upfront to effectively kickstart a renewable energy business. Right? So that's really number one. And number two is over time, we want to quickly, you know, decentralize it and make, make sure anyone can participate in the renewable energy network. Anyone can contribute. Right now, most renewable energy generation is really controlled by no more than 10 companies, right? mostly pension funds, infra funds, and private equity funds, right? And in fact, everyone's paying bills to them. All we want to do is we want to be able to, you know, bring that to everyone, right? 
you know, similar to, you know, how Revolut or Robinhood took stocks or ethics and basically democratize that, right? Make it accessible for everyone. We want to make real energy accessible for everyone as well. Yeah, there, there, there are super interesting comparisons to the internet, really. And like Energy Grid as a network and Web3 for, for the internet is the, the decentralized version. Like, you know, hopefully what you're, what you're building for the energy networks. Yeah, you've had a, a, a fantastic career at uh, Revolut. I think your it looks like perhaps your whole career has been at Revolut, rising from an analyst. So yeah, just very interested to before we kind of dive deeper into Tesseract, it'd be good to hear about your journey through Revolut and sort of learnings there. Yeah, so I joined Revolut as uh, effectively fresh grad. I think I was employee number three, if you don't count founders. Yeah, and basically I did everything from effectively anything by code. So. I sort of doing customer service, then running customer service, then running operations, then international expansion. So we took Revolut also in four markets, then took it profitable during COVID, and then four revenues before I left. And what what were the what were the key key learnings? I mean, it's it's probably the poster child of of UK startup success, and so I mean you'll have you'll have seen a lot. You'll have you'll have war stories from your experience there. I wonder, you know, what, what are the, what are the things that you learned at Revolut in scaling a business like that, that, that you're applying at the very earliest stages with Tesseract? Yeah. Um, I'd say it's all about the people, right? So at the end of the day, it's all about people building a great product, building a great service, working harder than the competition, right? So for example, when I joined Revolut, it was so in this small co-working space and essentially it was a dedicated office, so it was just a hot desk. And I would say the Revolut team was the only team that really stayed after 7 p.m. on weekdays. And also the only team that worked on weekends. Right. There was like probably several hundred startups in that co-working space. So I, I saw that, you know, literally first week. So at that moment, I was, it was very obvious to me, you know, regular something special. You know, when you're off, if you're up against the big guys, you know, it's very hard to win if you don't work harder than right? They have more money than you. They have more people than you. They can... They have more resources than you, more connections, et cetera, et cetera. And also they had more time than you, right? So you, your odds are really, really stacked against you. So the only thing you can beat is you hire better people and you work on I think that's really interesting. I mean, is that something that you think that the, the founders tried to get right in the hiring process or was it set post hiring in terms of like expectations? We just work harder or do you think they they sort of hired people that they sort of knew would work that hard. I think it's both, both, right? It's pretty clear in the interview process. This is not for everyone. I mean, it, 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 and that's fair enough, right? Not everyone wants to do, you know, like working 24 seven. I mean, that's very fair, but you can't build a, you can't build a gigantic company doing that. So I think yeah, Nikola said they're very good job, you know, hiring great people that's willing to do that and basically setting the culture and setting the expectations to everyone. And if they didn't make the bar, they were out. Yeah, nice. I think one of our previous guests described it as the the unsell in the hiring process where they actually try and convince you not to join for a period to make sure that you're, you're bought in to the right level. And so how have you found the move from being an early employee to scaling into a very big organization to, to now being a founder, like what's the biggest difference? Have you enjoyed it all? Like what's that experience been like? I mean, for me, I don't really think, uh, 
Like a lot of people ask me that question. Like for me, it's really the same. Like, I mean, for me, I'm always like a problem solver at heart. Right? I love solving problems. And I'm just solving a different problem, right? Um, so yeah, for me, it's, it's largely the same, right? And the only difference, I guess, is the different industry. But in terms of actual experience, like, I feel like it's very much the same. And your co-founder was also Revolut. How did you guys, what was the moment where you went, looked at each other and went, we're going to do this, like, we're going to do a business together. What was that kind of coming together like? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I, I actually hired him at Revolut. And then we always work well along with each other. But then he went to do some investing for two years, what I like to call like semi-retirement. And then we just, you know, he basically just, he was bored and then I was... I wanted to solve an even bigger problem, right? And then we started discussing, we bounced some ideas off each other. And then we accidentally stumbled across this battery company that was making a lot of money. And we were like, how can you make money from batteries? Right? Like we just didn't understand anything, right? And then we started digging into energy. And then, then a year later, we decided, you know, let's give it a shot. Yeah. And how, how have you, how have you found that time in as a green energy company? You know, now you spend a bit of time there researching, exploring, learning. Has your has your view of the market changed at all since since starting a business? It's it's quite different from an outside being an insider versus looking at it from the outside. The solution you're building seems obvious and it seems like something that would make sense. But I think it's 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 easy to underestimate the complexity of the the power grid, right? And so so I just wonder, you know, how you found that, whether actually you've kind of peeled back a few layers of the onion and, and just found found a mess that's much harder to work with than you're expecting for sure for sure i think uh, energy markets is very very complicated there is a lot of like because the problem is it's physical right so you start with actual generation so there's like a physical energy component and then you have the grid which is also a physical you know, physical thing and it has a lot of constraints and limitations and then you also have to consider, for example, permitting, right? Which the local government wants to have a say. And then you have the financial markets of energy, right? Which is, you know, it's not super efficient. And there are also a lot of problems with it. And so I would say, yes, there is a lot of complexity. I will say a lot more than finance. But, you know, I think what we, you know, what we've done at Revlon, right? It's, you know, we've abstracted all the complexity away from the customer. For a customer, it's just one button. Effectively, we're doing, we maintain this similar philosophy, like we are abstracting complexity away from the customer. So for the customer, it's just one button. So I would say it's a lot more details and complexity than we originally anticipated, but they were all, they're all solvable problems. How are you getting up to speed with the complexity? Like how, how do you, do you build a team around you who understands it better than you, or are you having to bury yourself in reports, research? Yeah, I'll say it's both, right? So, yeah, we, we hired, you know, some, we just made some great hires to the team. So we hired about four people who actually came from this industry, right? So we actually, actually maybe a bit more, maybe five. So if, for example, we hired two people from Tesla Energy, right? We hired one person from EDF Trading. He ran trading for EDF for 20, 20 something years. And this is his second job. <laughs> and we also hired an energy PhD as well. So we hired, you know, a combination of people who actually know a lot about energy and are, you know, and agree with us that you know, something is deeply broken about energy and it needs to be fixed. Plus a bunch of people just, you know, 
don't have an energy background, but love solving, love solving big problems. And they believe they want to contribute to this you know, net zero transition uh, cause, right? There's a combination of people really, and just taking it very, very deep, right? Going back to first principles. And for example, we, when we understand the grid, driving us on the grid, we actually first solve the engineering principles, right? What were, what were the physics equations of the grid? And then we work, work all the way back up to financial markets. So we just understood the whole, the whole chain, right? Whereas a lot of energy companies, you know, they would, someone would understand it, but they're not all in a single team, right? They were just like, some person, like everyone will understand one small thing, right? Collectively, they might know everything, but, but the problem is it's very hard to make the ultimate decision. The leadership or people who actually do the execution or the engineers, right? If you don't have a full picture, they're not running the business of yeah, it's amazing that you sort of plotted it all out like that to to really understand it. And we've obviously covered it's complex and companies like Bulb have obviously had a good period and then a, hot, a difficult period because maybe they didn't have full control, like the, the full chain and everything. You touched on it briefly at the start of the podcast, but what would you say is sort of Tesseract's secret sauce that's going to help you dominate the category? Like, is it this sort of virtual generation investment that people can make or like what what is that little bit that you think is really going to differentiate you in the lo longer term and the day it's being customer centric right like basically we start with the customer what would i want to see as a customer right because a lot of big energy companies and I, I think their approach is similar to the big banks right they just don't think about the customer they build products and spreadsheets they think about how much money i'm going to make rather than, oh, how can I build a great product, right? And provide great customer experience for my customers. So I think starting from the customer and work backwards, right? I think it's customer first, business second, right? So that kind of approach, right? And honestly, like, I think there is a standard formula, right? For building a consumer business. I think Amazon is probably a pioneer for just you know, customer centricity. And a lot of tech companies have followed suite, right? I think including Revolut. But I haven't seen a single customer-centric energy company, right? Let alone Europe, but, you know, in the world. I haven't seen a single one. So I think starting with the customer, which is, and the reason why we came up with electric generation is, okay, I, now I personally want to buy some, I, I live in an apartment. I don't have, I don't have a roof, right? And I used to rent and I want to contribute to going to net zero, but apart from recycling, which is not, arguably not that effective, right? Which is a separate problem. I don't know what to do. I, I feel powerless, right? And again, I also want to save money on my energy bill. And there's no, right now, there's no solution for me to, to do anything, right? So if you have money to put to use and you want to help contribute to net zero and you want to make a, you know, you want to save money on that energy bill, like there's no good solution for a lot of people, right? And not everyone is fortunate to have a, 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 a roof, let alone own, own that roof. So yeah, that, 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 that virtual, you know, this virtual generation concept was really just born from personal frustration and, you know, like just designing a product where customers want, right? And then solves the customer's problem. Yeah. And, and I guess there's like an interesting debate around how, how much control consumers want, like, or how involved consumers want to be in their, you know, in, in their energy consumption. So I guess, you know, there, there's a whole cohort of consumers who just would love not to think at all about their energy. It's just done, whatever. They'll pay the bill. Hopefully it comes straight out of their account without having to look at it. 
kind of thing. And then there's a group of people probably like me who would like, you know, some functionality. Like it's fun to play around with new tools, new features. But maybe maybe there's some functionality that you can build for, for consumers. So I wonder, what's your thoughts around how you can build that consumer proposition for the different types of consumers and what, 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 what are those different propositions? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So initially our focus would be people who want to own electric generation. That's really just a focus. And that is, you're right. Not everyone wants that. And that's, that's fair enough. But longer term, right? We, we do want to make it like mass market and we don't, we do want to cater to, for example, a cohort where they just want to forget about it. Right. So for example, some of the products we are thinking about building, right? A lot, uh, you know, in, in the future, right? Is for example, if you want to help you, you want to electrify your home, save money on energy, et cetera, et cetera. Right. For example, let's say EV charger. If you want to get an EV, right, you probably need an EV charger at home. So right now, the buying experience is pretty broken, right? You have to call a local electrician. They have to come in to do a physical engineering survey. Then they were able to give you a more accurate, uh, accurate quote. And then maybe two, three weeks later, you schedule another meet, uh, site visit where they actually do installation. So the whole experience is pretty broken, right? So it's not Airbnb equivalent for, you know, you know, EV charging installation, right? So we want to be able to, you know, facilitate that where, you know, everything is, you, you select it, you take a photo, you, you, you say you want an EV charger at home, you take a photo outside your house, an energy in the background does the digital engineering survey, we give you AcroCode almost instantly, right? Let's say 10 minutes later, and then you schedule a time where you want energy to come into your house and instantly recharge it, then done. Right, you pay and then done. You forget about. Or, for example, your EV can actually earn money providing grid services right, to help stabilize the grid. We can actually help you completely automate that. So basically, you just plug in your EV, right? We'll do all the hard work for you, and then there's some money magically appearing in your account. So basically, we're not just building a utility, a renewable utility company. We're actually selling the utility as a, a core, the backbone, but then that's building a support right for to help you electrify, to help you save money, and in the future, help you earn money as well. So it's about yeah, going green, saving you money, and helping you make money. Right? That's really our philosophy. It's unbelievably awesome. Apart from track record, why do you think you raise so much money? But obviously, uh, that explanation goes a bit of a way to explaining why. Did you aim to raise as much as you did, or did you just keep getting offers and that just helped shape the round eventually? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, to us, we didn't think too much in, in terms of how much we want to raise. Yeah, I, I think it kind of just happened. Did it surprise you how much momentum the round gathered? Yeah, I would say maybe a little bit, a little bit. Um, I was, I was, I uh, guess I had a range, right? And I guess it, it, it happens within range. You spoke about at the beginning, like this is, this can be asset heavy. Like it's some of the round for, Asset purchase. Yes. Some of the right is the majority of is actually one asset purchase. Effectively, what we want to do, right, is we want to take it off. So initially to kick off, to kick it off, we, we have to take a to balance sheet, take, take on balance sheet. Cause what we don't want to do is basically grow another energy supplier that relies on the wholesale market, right? That can really get fucked if, if the wholesale market goes up, right? And we can't sell it for as much as, you know, what you're buying. That's really just what happened to well, the energy supplies that went bust, right? So that's why we are all in generation. But long term, we want to take off balance sheet, right? So effectively, you know, we want to, I mean, this is, you know, 
another, another, we're simultaneously creating another decentralized renewable energy network, right? So imagine, right, if you look at the Bitcoin network, right, Bitcoin network is effectively the fastest growing financial services network that was ever seen. And they managed to convince, and, and, and basically what it is, is just an automated incentive system to convince people to buy GPUs to solve this market. And actually what goes to right, it's, it grows super fast. Now, what if, right, and what, what I really appreciate about Bitcoin now, which is this incentive system is so beautiful. What I, what I do not appreciate is, you know, it's, I would argue, it's not that useful, right? But what if you can design a similar incentive system that convince people to do something more useful? So rather than convincing people to buy GPUs, what if you convince people to buy renewables? My, this, you know, Bitcoin for energy, Bitcoin for renewable energy, right? Where they can earn a lot more than, you know, early Bitcoin miners have made millions. Imagine you can make millions from, you know, mining renewable energy. And that'll convince a lot of people to do it and really accelerate their, their renewable transition. And that's how we think about, you know, effective designing incentives, right? So eventually we do want to take a generation of balance sheet, right? And basically create an effective decentralized renewable energy network where anyone can participate. Anyone can earn, anyone can participate, anyone can become a renewable energy mine. Yeah, it's, a, it's an amazing vision and one that makes sense sort of in the abstract. And then, then like, it's, you know, it's just a, a really complicated problem and difficult problem to solve. And I just wonder, like that journey from you know, zero to a hundred, which you I'm sure have sort of mapped out and, you know, think about a lot. One, one of the things that strikes me is that it's just going to be, or it could be really hard getting certain important stakeholders to kind of pick up the phone to you guys. Like there must be all sorts of people who you're ultimately going to be putting out of business or need to do things for you that they don't want to do and and so are you finding that it's difficult to get people to pick up the phone are you finding that certain stakeholders are are, are making it very difficult for you a lot of people have been extremely helpful so far anyone who we want to speak with we were within reach right obviously our investment network is has a you know very good connections so we met a lot of you know people in the industry in that way we also managed to hire an XC of Opgem as a you know, advisor, so to help on the regulatory front. So that opened a lot of doors. And generally, people are just very, very excited about a change right, in this industry. And you know, they, they just think you know something fresh, something more innovative, something actually solves customer problems and you know helps lower customer bills and help us go net zero. I think, like because it's on so many people's agenda, right? Like people really care, a lot of people really care about going net zero. A lot of people really care about doing what's best for the customer. So we just kind of hit, if we don't hit all the, every, everything they care about, they hit every song, right? So I, I, no, I think we found, you know, a lot of people have been very, very helpful so on so far. And then we really appreciate as a helper so far. And yeah, I would say Jerry's been very positive. That's good to hear. I mean, it sounds like you've brought in some great people. If Hector and I came and spent a day in the office, what would we notice about the culture at Tesseract Energy? And I noticed you've got a few roles on LinkedIn. Like how big is the team and how big will it be in 12 months' time? Yeah, so about 26 today. We don't plan to grow the heck on that much. We are so very, in terms of who we need, right? We, I think we need, we have everyone we needed to, to execute the, the plan. But I think we're always on the lookout for an opportunity for you know, top talent. That's why we, I'll say we will we, we'll always be hiring. 
but I don't expect the team to be, you know, much bigger than what we have today unless they talk on stuff. So one thing I learned is, you know, it's at Revel it was it's better to have a small but brilliant team than a large, large but less effective team. So I want to maintain that philosophy here as well. In terms of culture, I would say we are, you know, I would say we, I brought some of that from Revolut, right? And I'll say the key cultural value we have, because, you know, Revolut, I think, from memory, had six cultural values. I think it's too much for people to remember. So I just brought one, right? Which is never settle. You know, we never stop. We don't stop until we're number one. We don't stop. We don't settle anything that is not uh, top-notch in quality. We don't settle for anything that is not fast. So yeah, that's, that's really, I'll say, our culture. And in practice, we work very, we all work very hard. Everyone works six, seven days a week. Just around like customers, they, if someone's listening now, what do they do to sign up? So right now we're internal beta. So we're testing the product to make sure all the bugs are fixed before we move to the next stage. We are targeting early next year for private external beta. So yeah, if, if anyone's interested, then yeah, send me a, send me a DM and happy to more than happy to put you in the private beta. Awesome. I think Hector and I probably want to be in there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'll be signing up. It's a fascinating company with a, with a huge ambition and vision and, and one that is kind of inevitable and, and let's hope that you're, you're the team who can, can accomplish it. So. Lots of great anecdotes, so, some interesting insight in your, into your time at, at Revolut and, and some of the in, inside workings of, of that company and also how you're kind of using the learnings from there to build company and, and culture and a high-performing team at Tesseract. So we could have carried on speaking for hours, but we don't have hours. So um, it'd be great to move on to the dinner party guest game, which is where we ask you, who would you invite to a dinner party if you could have three guests and they can be, they can be dead or alive? Yeah, so I'll start with two, maybe two answers where most people listen, most, most people list. As far as Elon and Steve, Steve Jobs. I think Elon's the obvious one. And Steve for building the awesome consumer products. I just love to understand how he thinks about the problem, right? how he thinks about building products. The third one is probably uh, for me, Enzo Ferrari. I think it's another great product company. He has, in terms of how many cars they sell versus the brand, how great the product is, is just, it's just fucking awesome. That's oh, such yeah. a good one. I, I'm a massive yeah. car nut and, um, I hadn't thought about Enzo Ferrari, but yeah, couldn't agree more about the product side of things. I mean, they're, they're a piece of art. Exactly. Cars do not need to be, you know, if you build a car on a spreadsheet, you get a Ford. If you build a car with, you know, beautiful, great design, you get a Ferrari, right? That is both functional and beautiful. So that's yeah, probably one of the greatest products of all time. What a great note to end the podcast on. Yeah, great to chat and thanks for all your insight. Really, really great getting to know you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Alan. That's it for this week. Thanks very much for listening. To stay up to date with the latest episodes, please follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. We also have a newsletter called Reading Unicorns, which is another great way to get every episode direct to your inbox. Please tell your friends about it and engage with us on social media and we'll see you on the next episode.